We're going to pray together. Let's just do that. Well, Father in heaven, uh, it's a new year. We're grateful for that. So we wrap up 2011. It's easy to look back and see the blessings, but we also see some of the struggles, some of the trials that we've gone through. It's my prayer, Lord, that as we see those as well as the blessings, we'll be able to see your hand. And as we kick off a new year, it's my prayer that our eyes will be opened, that we might see you all around us all the time, praying that you'll help us do that. And Father, I'm praying that this next year will be full of blessings that caused last year's blessings to pale in comparison. And I'm praying that you get the credit for all of them. Father, our church has been wonderfully blessed by you. We're asking that that continue. We're asking, Lord, that those that have been here for a long time will see new things about you. We're praying that they'll grow in their relationship with you and their knowledge of the word. And we're praying that you will send many new people that will begin a relationship with you for the first time, a saving relationship with you. Father, would you let those be the defining aspects of our time together as a family in 2012? In Jesus' name, amen. Wish you'd consider some of these scenarios. You might find yourself in one of them, maybe two of them or three of them. You might find yourself in all of them. So just listen to these very critically, if you would, please. Ben lost his job a couple years ago. A lot of other people were losing their jobs at the exact same time. So when he first got notice that he was no longer employed, he wasn't really worried about it. He had some money saved up, and he was going to be able to draw unemployment, and he knew he was going to be okay. And he figured he would get another job. He had several times before, so it was all right. 30 days after he lost his job, though, nobody was interested in hiring him. He was noticing that nobody was hiring the other people that had lost their jobs, and his money was beginning to disappear. He got concerned. By the end of 60 days, when there were no job offers forthcoming and nobody else was getting hired, as he was looking at all the signs of the times, he got scared, didn't know what to do. He didn't know how he was going to take care of himself. The provisions that he had made, the money that he had saved was now gone, and his bills were not being covered by the unemployment. So he asked some people that he knew were praying people to pray for him. A number of them said they would. A few even said they would pray with him. And they prayed that God would send his peace into Ben's life. Ben would tell you that that peace didn't come for a long time. He listened to those words. He heard what they had asked of God. Yet he didn't receive the answer to those prayers for a number of months. And Ben was stymied as to why that might have been. Now his story is familiar to a lot of people. Maybe Jody's will ring true in your life though. Jody went through a, a terrible divorce, 12 months of fighting it out. She never wanted the divorce. She never asked for the divorce. Her husband wanted it. When he served papers on her, Jody was a part of a women's Bible study. She instantly asked the ladies that she studied God's word with to pray for her. And they did. Initially, they prayed that the heart of Jody's husband would be changed. It wasn't. Then they began to pray that God would just bring the two of them back together. He didn't. One bold lady actually asked in the midst of their time of prayer that God would change Jody's life and change her heart. Jody didn't see why that was necessary, and she didn't understand any of that. Finally, when they began to see that none of their prayers were being answered, they all just began to pray that God would comfort Jody. Jody would tell you that that comfort was a long ways off. 
It did not come instantly. It did not come rapidly. It was a long ways off. And she struggled to ever find it. It was tough. Maybe you understand her story. Alice's is a little bit different. Alice unexpectedly lost her husband. It was a tragic death. They didn't see it coming. They had no expectation of it. He was just gone. And Alice's world was turned upside down. You can imagine how that works. Alice had a a few well-meaning people that came up to her and said that they would pray for her. One lady in particular came up and said, Alice, I know this is a tough time. I want to pray for you. And Alice, because she was very raw in the moment, and the emotions were very real for her, and she was doing nothing to try to cover them up, looked right at that lady and said, What? What are you going to pray for me? And this lady had no idea how to respond. She had no idea what to say. She just said, Alice, I'm going to pray for you. And Alice said, what are you going to pray for me? The lady disappeared into the woodwork, never did give an answer. Alice felt bad about it later. She would have liked to have gone back, but because the emotions were so fresh and so raw, she couldn't even remember who the lady was. So she never got to go back to her. Sam lost his house. A lot of other people were losing their houses. He lived in it for a while after he quit making payments, and the bank was as gracious to Sam as they could possibly be. And finally they came and said, Sam, we have to take your house. We have to repossess it. They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to take it, but they had to. So they did. Sam was now homeless, but it wasn't just him. His wife was homeless and his children were homeless. They didn't have any family to go to. They didn't have anybody to move in with. Sam was at a loss. Well-meaning person from his church came up and said, Sam, you know God has a plan for all this. We're going to pray that you stay right in the center of God's plan. Sam would tell you he was kind of irritated by that prayer because he wasn't interested in God's long-term plan. That didn't matter. What he was interested in was a place to spend the night. He was interested in knowing how to survive, not what the plan would be five years from now, ten years from now. He was curious about the moment he was living in. And somebody said to him, God has a plan, and it's a good plan, and if you stay right in the center of it, then everything will be okay. Sam was pretty upset. Any of you identify with any of those stories? Maybe you've been in some of those situations. A number of you have. Most of us probably have. Frank learned a lot about prayer when he was eight years old. Oh, that we could all learn a lot about prayer when we're just eight years old. Frank was planning on going fishing with his grandfather on Saturday. His grandpa had come to him and said, Oh, Frank, I want to take you out fishing. It's going to be a great day. We're going to enjoy it. Frank loved to fish. So as soon as his grandpa said that's what they were going to do, He got his tackle box ready. He got his pole ready. All he had to do was wait until Saturday rolled around on the calendar. And wait, he did. Saturday morning came. He and his grandpa got out of bed, got ready to go fishing, looked outside, and it was raining. And not just a little bit. It was raining hard. So grandpa looked at Frank and said, well, I guess we're not going to be able to go. Frank got mad. Frank didn't get just a little bit mad. Frank got seven kinds of holy mad. And his grandpa sat down with him and said, Now, Frank, you know that the farmers have to have rain in order to raise their crops, and the flowers need rain in order to grow, and this rain is good. And and Frank, boy, the honesty of kids is so good. He says, Yeah, Grandpa, I know all of that, but it could have rained yesterday. didn't have to rain today. And he stayed mad all day long, thinking to himself, It could have rained yesterday. Why did it have to rain today? We had plans. We were going to go out. We were going to fish. It was going to be wonderful. Why is it raining today? Three o'clock in the afternoon, though, the clouds parted and the sun came out and the rain stopped. Grandpa came to Frank and said, Frank, it's only three o'clock. We can still go fishing if you want to. And Frank said, oh, yeah, I want to go fishing. 
So they grabbed all their stuff, put it in the car, and they went fishing, and they slayed them. They just had a great afternoon on the water. Huge stringer of fish. You know how that works after a rainstorm? Sometimes that's the best fishing. That's the way it was that day. They caught a lot of fish. Took them home and showed them to his mom, and she was real excited. Grandpa went out and cleaned up the fish and brought them back in, and Frank's mom cooked them up and, and laid out a huge spread on the table. And when they sat down for dinner, Grandpa looked at Frank and said, Frank, would you like to offer the prayer? Frank said, yeah, I'll pray. And he had a great prayer. In the midst of it, he said this, God, if I was grumpy earlier, it's only because I didn't see far enough ahead. Isn't that great? If I was grumpy earlier, it's only because I didn't see far enough ahead. Now, that's a good prayer. It really is. Lord, I didn't see far enough ahead. That was my fault. If I was grumpy earlier, that's why. That type of prayer is taught in the Bible. It really is. Particularly in the Old Testament. I want to show you where it comes from. I want to show you how to find that type of a prayer life. We're going to go to the book of 2 Kings. The first part of the book of 2 Kings contains the life of Elisha the prophet. Elijah the prophet is recorded in 1 Kings. When Elijah was leaving this earth, he was good friends with Elisha, and Elisha was really his protege. Elijah was his mentor. When he was leaving, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's power, and he received it. If you go to the book of 1 Kings and you count how many miracles Elijah performed, and then go to the book of 2 Kings and count how many miracles Elisha performed, you'll find out that it is exactly twice as many. He got what he asked for from Elijah and from the Lord. But now in the book of 2 Kings, it's Elisha's day. He is God's man, and he is accomplishing great things. We're in chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Now here's what's happening. The king of Aram is at war with the king of Israel, and it seems like every time the king of Aram puts something in place, the king of Israel knows what he's going to do before he ever does it. So the king of Aram assumes, like most people would, there's a spy among us. There is a mole here. We've got to figure out who it is. And so he says to his officers, you tell me. You tell me who it is. The officers will actually end up saying to him, it is nobody on our side. It is the prophet of God. It is the man of God. Every time you make a move, he already knows about it. He's already figured out what you're going to do before you even know what you're going to do. The reason for that, God was telling Elisha. God was letting him know what was going on, and he was reporting it to the king of Israel so that the king of Israel could avoid the attacks of the king of the Aramean army. Pretty cool the way that works. Now, catch up with me here. This is verse 12. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha the prophet who is, who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid. 
the prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now the servant, the servant's an interesting character here. He gets up in the morning. It's just Elisha and his servant, and they're in their tent. He gets up and, and goes outside. Maybe he's going to tend the fire. Maybe he's going to get the coffee going. Maybe he's going to make breakfast for Elisha. We don't know. It could be that there was a big pan of bacon and eggs cooking right there on the fire, and he was just waiting for Elisha to get up. They were Jewish. There, there was no bacon. So he's warming the Pop-Tarts, and he's got the coffee going. And Elisha comes out just at the time that the servant looks up, and he sees all of the army of the Arameans surrounding them. They were not soldiers. They were not warriors, but here's an entire army crashing down on them. And the servant understandably gets scared. But Elisha, on the other hand, he just bends down and gets himself a cup of coffee. Not worried at all. And the servant's saying, what are we going to do? Elisha says, no, no big deal. Takes a drink. No big deal. What are you talking about? They're going to kill us. And Elisha prays for him. Listen to this prayer. It is very powerful. And Elisha prayed, verse 17, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. After they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. Did you notice that at no point did Elisha say, Lord, would you send to my servant great peace? At no point did he say, Father, he needs your comfort. Would you give that to him? And really, even at no point did Elisha say, oh, God has a great plan. You just need to trust it, and you just need to stay right in the center of it. Those were not the prayers of Elisha at all. Elisha's prayer, very pointed and very powerful, was this. Lord, open his eyes that he might see that those that are with us are more than those that are against us. That's a great prayer. Open his eyes that he might see. There is a reason that that prayer was necessary. Elisha could stand out there and grab his cup of coffee and Pop-Tart and never be worried one little bit because he had a long history with the Lord. He had a number of experiences that let him know that God was in their midst, that God's presence was right there. He had a long history with God that helped him understand there was no reason to be afraid because God is God. Let me show that to you. Just go over to chapter 4 with me real quick, starting in verse 42. A man came from Baal Shalisha, there we go, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, Give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. Elisha already knew there it was going to be enough. God had told him he was supposed to feed the people, and this is all they had. It was going to be enough. 
That was his history with the Lord. Elisha could hear the voice of God. He could hear when God said, this is what I want you to do, Elisha. Now you just do it. I'll take care of all the details. That was his history. But his servant, his servant had something different going on. When Elisha became God's man, when he became the prophet, he had another servant with him. His name was Gehazi. Gehazi went everywhere with Elisha, did whatever Elisha needed him to do. And at one point, Gehazi forgot what was important to Elisha. Here's exactly what happened. He believed that the people that Elisha was performing miracles for owed Elisha something. He believed they should have to pay for what they received. Elisha didn't want any part of that, no part of it at all. So Gehazi took things into his own hands. After Elisha had healed a man, Gehazi chased down his servants and said, Hey, your guy owes my guy some money. I need the cash right now. When Elisha got word of that, he said, That isn't happening on my watch, and that isn't happening in my camp. And he fired Gehazi, told him to get his things out of the tent and disappear, and Gehazi was gone. Now he had to call the human relations department at Prophets R Us and get a new servant. So that's what he did. The servant showed up. That's the servant we find in 2 Kings chapter 6. He didn't have any history like Gehazi did. He didn't have any history like Elisha did. So when the army was surrounding them and it looked like they were about to be crushed, he was scared. He was nervous. Understandably, his experience said this is a bad deal. At this point, he had yet to understand what it meant to live a surrendered life with God. He had yet to understand what it meant to really know all the time that those that are with us are more than those that are against us. But when we figure out that surrendered life with God, our prayers begin to sound like Elisha's. We're not praying for peace and comfort. We're praying that people's eyes will be opened because ours have been. Let me show you how this works. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 3, second book of the Bible. Exodus chapter 3. This is a familiar story, but it bears digging into again. There's a lot of wonderful stuff that can be mined out of this. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to the bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now you have to understand, Moses was born a Jew. He was born an Israelite. He was born a Hebrew. He should have known who God was. But if you're familiar with his story, not long after he was born, he was sent to Egypt and he was raised in a non-Jewish home, raised by Pharaoh. Though his mother was still there and she was his caregiver, he was not raised in the Hebrew traditions. Now he's living in Midian, which is not in the land of Israel. It was south of Israel, next to Egypt. That's where he was at. He was not all that familiar with God. God even had to introduce himself to Moses in this situation. Connie Kavanaugh says that when he did, it's like this is what happened. God came up behind Moses and said, put up your hands. Moses had to put up his hands. Stick them up, Moses. You're caught. 
you're had, and this is who I am. And God began to describe to him exactly who he was. But at that point, even with his hands up in the air, Moses was not yet at a place where he was ready to surrender his life. That's going to come in a few verses. Let's pick up verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's got his hands up in the air. God's right behind him saying, I got you. You're had. You're right in my crosshairs. And Moses is doing what most of us would do. But Lord, I'm not the right one. Who am I? You got the wrong guy. That's what he's trying to say. The whole time with his hands up in the air. You got the wrong guy. He hadn't surrendered yet. God's telling him, no, I've got the right person. I know who you are, and you're going to accomplish what I want you to accomplish. This is what happens, though. Verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. There's the point of surrender. He has his hands up. God's already told him who he is. He's tried to tell God he has the wrong person, and God said, No, I don't. And then God says, And I will go with you. And I am who I am. And you don't need to worry. And from that point forward, Moses did what God asked him to do. It was the moment of surrender. His eyes were opened and he understood that God was with him. God was on his side. God was all around him. No matter what was going on, Moses was able to say, Okay, Lord, I get it. I'll do what you want me to do. It was a surrendered life. The servant in 2 Kings chapter 6 hadn't gotten there yet, but Elisha had. And he was able to pray for him, open his eyes, and I'll bet you from that point forward, that servant was ready to do whatever it is that Elisha asked him to do with his hands up. Because I understand that God is with me. And when God is with me, those that are with me are more than those that are against me, and I'm going to be okay. It's a great prayer. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. Help me understand. Peace is a great prayer. Comfort is a great prayer. God's plan is a great thing. But it doesn't help us a lot. When we say, Lord, open my eyes that I might see, and God responds to that prayer, unbelievable things happen. That was true for Jeremiah. Listen to what he writes. This is Jeremiah chapter 3, starting in verse 55. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, Do not fear. O Lord, you took up my case. You redeemed my life. You have seen, O Lord, the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. By the way, that's in the book of Lamentations, not Jeremiah. Jeremiah is just the author of the book of Lamentations. So he writes those words, and he says, You heard me, and you were there, and you took up my case, and my eyes were opened, 
and I could see. You see, he understood it. So did David. David writes these words in the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 31. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was in a besieged city. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. David understood it because he cried out to God and God heard him and responded. And David said, because of that, I can praise him. And all of you should praise him too when you've experienced things like that and your hands are up and you are surrendered before the Lord and God responds to your need. The right response is to say, thank you, Lord. And you can even say it in advance. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in this situation. And God does it. By the way, if you were listening to the writings of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, what you heard is that God is intricately interested in redeeming you. He is not tremendously interested in rescuing you. And a lot of us offer rescue prayers all the time. Well, Lord, I'm in a mess again. I need your help. Well, Lord, I've done it again. Can you clean this up for me? Well, Lord, I don't know how I got here when in reality we really do know how we got there. God, would you clean this mess up? Those are prayers of rescue. What God is interested in is redeeming prayers. Lord, I don't ever want to be here again. Would you help me see my way out of this so that I never come back? God is interested in redeeming you, not continually rescuing you. So sometimes when you have prayed over and over and over again, Lord, would you help me with this? And it seems like God isn't helping you with it. It's because you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And God is simply saying, I'm not going to keep rescuing you over and over and over again, but I will redeem you from this when you are ready to be redeemed. Amen? Amen. If you've experienced that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. God doesn't just want to keep rescuing you. He wants to change your life. He wants to redeem you. So you're thinking to yourself, and, and I would be too, how's this work? I want to live that surrendered life. I want to be able to say, Lord, here I am. Now, I want you to do this with me. Open my eyes that I might see. What am I going to see? Because maybe, like me, you've prayed prayers like this before, and you have never seen horses and chariots of fire surrounding you. And you've really wanted to. You have never seen the angelic forces as they are ready to come in on your behalf, and you really, really want to. Maybe you're just like that. But when you've prayed, Lord, open my eyes, maybe you've seen some other things. These are some of the things that you will actually see. You will see the people of God. When you pray, Lord, open my eyes that I might see, you will see those that he has surrounded you with. And when you see the people of God, God has the ability to direct you to the right people to give wisdom and guidance and counsel that they might be able to help you out of the situation you're in. Listen to what James says. This is James chapter 5. Is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. When God opens your eyes, you may very well see God's people. And you go to them and you ask them, you humble yourself to say, God has led me to you that you might help me in this situation. Let me lay it out before you. And you see what they have to say. Which, by the way, there's great counsel in this. 
If you are in trouble and you are needing help, you go to godly people. You go to men and women that love the Lord and know the Lord intimately, and you ask them for their guidance. If you are seeking counsel from ungodly people, you will get ungodly counsel. You seek counsel from godly people that they might direct you in the word of God and in the spirit of God that you might go the direction God wants you to go. Because when God opens your eyes, oftentimes what you see are his children ready to help you. That's what the church is there for. Is any of you in trouble, James says? He ought to pray. And when he prays, he ought to be able to go to other people. If you're sick, go to the elders. If you have things going on in your life, you ought to be able to tell other people about it so that they can respond. Here's a little rabbit trail for you. That's what our salt groups are about. It's about finding a group of godly people to do life with, to pray with, to experience things with, to study God's word together, and to help one another, to be surrounded by one another. If you're not a part of one of the salt groups, you need to get involved in one. You really do. It is one of the best things you could ever pull off. Tina and I love the, the people that we're in salt group with right now, and we are doing life together. There was a group together last night, a salt group over at the Christian school, just having a good time with one another. They're doing life together. You talk to Deanie and you let him know that you want to be in a salt group, and he'll help you figure out which one is the right one. Get plugged into it. It's a great thing because when your eyes are opened, what you will see is God's people. And God's people surround you and they help you. And they do all kinds of different things with you. Don't ever forget, if you seek ungodly counsel, you will get ungodly counsel. That's the way it works. But when God opens our eyes, we not only see the people of God, we also see the power of God, the ability to understand that God is who he says he is and his promises are real. Tina and I are at an interesting point in our life, and I know a number of you have already crossed this point, and so this won't take you by surprise. We have great kids. We love our children. We love spending time with our kids. Our two sons are, are remarkable young men of God. They gave their lives to the Lord very early on, and they have lived for Christ, and I love that about them. Our daughter is a godly young woman. She's just a joy to be around. We love talking with our kids. We love spending time with our kids. We love laughing with our kids. We love sharing all kinds of experiences with our kids. But our kids make us nervous. They scare us. They are getting older. And we are not able to say to them all the time, no, you cannot do that. We're not able to always snap our fingers and say, that's not going to happen. Now, you're going to do what we want you to do. They're having to make decisions for themselves now, and that's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I liked it a lot better when I could say yes or no, and they just said, okay, Daddy. We've kind of moved past that. And now here they are having to make these decisions, and we're having to let that happen. We talk about it all the time. We pray for our kids all the time. Yesterday, as we were getting ready to go to the Chain of Lakes, we were talking about this very thing. Here's a little preacher transparency for you. We were in the bathroom. Tina was at the sink. I was in the shower. We were getting ready to go. We're talking about what our kids are doing, and, and we're kicking around everything that's happening, and, and we're saying that we're really concerned about all of this stuff. And, and at one point, I'm talking away, and I realize that she's not talking back. And I thought, hmm, it's a little bit disconcerting. So I look over the top of the shower. She's gone. I'm talking, and she walked out, just walked out. 
and leaves me standing there with the shampoo on my hair. Yes, bald men shampoo their hair, and that's, that's a whole other story. She's gone. Apparently somebody called, and Katie came and said the phone was ringing. It was for her, and, and she says that she actually told me that she was leaving. I didn't catch that part. could have been because I was talking in the shower. But she's gone, and I'm left standing there on my own. But in the midst of all of that, I know what our conversation was, and this thought goes through my mind. And by the way, don't picture this whole scenario too long because no amount of counseling will help deal with the images. So <clears throat> she's gone. She's out of the room. We'd been talking about all these things, and I thought, this is what I'm preaching tonight, this very thing, this idea of a surrendered walk with the Lord where my eyes are open that I might see that those that are around my kids are greater than those that are with them. That's amazing stuff when you're able to say that. So no kidding, in the shower, I just put my hands up and I said, Lord, you have me. You got me. Because I can't do all of this stuff that I want to be able to do in the lives of my children and I have to trust you. So I surrender. Would you open my eyes that I might always see the people that my children are surrounded by? Would you open my eyes that I might always know that you are with them when I'm not? Would you open their eyes to remind them that you are with them when I am not? I've explained to my kids all the time, you will never get away with anything, not in Libby. I have too many eyes that are watching you. I even tell them this, I know the judges and I know the cops. And so you're in trouble, always in trouble. And if that isn't good enough for you, 700 people go to this church and they know who you are and they are watching you. There's a certain amount of accountability that goes with that. My prayer in the shower was, Lord, let them remember who you are, always. And let them remember who they are, always. They are your children. That is a surrendered prayer that is hard for parents to offer. Amen? Because we want to follow them around. I want to lowjack their cars. I want to do all kinds of different things, but my hands have to go up. Lord, I surrender this to you. The power of God allows us to do that. This is found in the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul's talking about a relationship with Christ. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that this life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with, with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The power of God, when we understand it in the midst of a surrendered life and surrendered prayer, helps us stretch our vision to understand that what matters the most is the eternal. God, open my eyes that I might see that. God, open my eyes that I might understand that and that I might live that. The power of God helps us do that. When God opens our eyes, he also allows us to see his presence. 
Bob Russell tells the story of two people in their church in Kentucky named Tommy and, and Tammy Wolfat. They had a two-year-old son named Taylor that was diagnosed with brain cancer at two years old. It was a horrible diagnosis. And they were, of course, left spiraling from it. They didn't know what to do, so they asked the church to pray. That's a good first place. Then they went to the doctors, and the doctors operated, and they took the tumor out of Taylor's brain. And then they went through 12 months of chemotherapy. Tough 12 months. They got good reports at times, and then they got bad reports. When they would get the good reports, they would offer praise to the Lord. When they got the bad reports, they would ask people to pray, and people did. And it was a roller coaster ride for them. Through all of it, though, they had a wonderful, wonderful perspective that was given to them by the Lord. Tammy would write this. I picture us on a boat in the middle of a storm. Though you're surrounded by the storm, you know that God is in the front of the boat, and you know that he never abandons the ship. We know that God has been in this boat with us from the beginning. He's not jumping out now. And when I cuddle Taylor in my lap, I picture Jesus holding all of us. We don't like what we've been through this year. And there have been times we just sit in our father's lap and cry, but we don't lose faith in him. When your eyes are open that you will see the presence of God, that's what it's like. Sitting in the lap of the Lord. He's holding me. And if the only thing I can do right now is cry, then he's okay with that. And if I need other direction in his power, he will give it. God is just there. The surrendered prayer life understands that. The surrendered prayer life is a reflection of a lifelong walk with God. And it allows us to put our hands up and say, Lord, I should be who only you can be right now in my life. And God does it. I am almost positive that there are things in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord. Things that you have been trying to hold on to for a long time. Things that you've been trying to do on your own. Maybe they're relational problems. Maybe they're financial problems. Maybe they're health problems. Maybe they're just like Tina and I. Maybe it's not really a problem. It's just a stage you're in. And you're having to figure out how to make your way through it. By the way, again, that's one of the fun things in our SALT group. They're helping us figure out how to make our way through it. And we're doing it together, a number of us. Maybe that's what you have to surrender as a stage in your life. But you're probably holding on to certain things that it's hard for you to get rid of. It's hard for you to say, okay, Lord, you got me. Maybe God has snuck up behind you and, and you've put your hands up, but like Moses, you're trying to put them back down and say, no, 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 Lord, you got the wrong person. I'm not ready to do that. Maybe you need to be in a place where you're ready to do that. I want us to do something kind of different today, and I know that this is uncomfortable for some of you, but I invite you to join us in it. I want us to pray a surrendered prayer with one another. Now, this is really between you and God. It's not going to be out loud, and, and it doesn't matter to me what's going on in your life. You know what Tina and I are praying about right now. I don't need to know what you're praying about. God knows. But I want to invite you to, to stand with us and take on a posture of surrender and give those things to the Lord. Raise your hands as if to say, Lord, you've got me, I'm had. And place yourself right before him so that he can know it. And I'm going to actually ask two people to help us with that process. Deanie's going to come up and, and uh, lead you through just a, a time of thinking, which is also a time of prayer. He's going to give you some different things to think about. Then I'm going to ask David Bulware, one of our elders. Deanie's sitting over to my right, David's over to my left. I'm going to ask David to lead us in a time of surrendered prayer. Deanie knew this, David didn't. So he's sitting there thinking, oh, okay, I'm had. So, 
But he's an elder. I know he'll do it. But for those of you that want to, and hopefully that's all of you, I want to invite you to stand with us and raise your hands in surrender. It is a unique posture of prayer. There are all kinds of postures of prayer. We kneel, we sit, we stand, we lay down, we raise our hands in praise, but we need to sometimes raise them in surrender. And by the way, when you raise your hands in moments like this, it matters which direction your hands are facing. If your hands are facing inward like this, what you're saying to the Lord is, Lord, I want to receive something from you. When your hands are facing out, you're telling God you want to give him something. So the surrendered posture of prayer in this case is to put your hands up before God with your hands facing out and then offer those things before the Lord. Dini is going to give us some things to think about. And then David, if you would, lead us in that time of prayer. As I was thinking about this, as we put our hands up, the ones of us that we want to, and the thought of being vulnerable before the Lord and surrendering things to him, think about things like this. God... There were some things I said to some people this week that it wasn't honest. It wasn't really the way it was. And I know that you don't like me to do that. And I've been trying to quit doing that. And I just have to give that over to you because I'm not strong enough to quit that. I keep doing it. Or you might think of there's some habit that you have. It could be the jokes you tell. It could be lying. It could be anger. It could be... Uh, alcohol or drugs or something and you're you keep on your own trying to give that over to God and it doesn't it doesn't work because you're trying to do it on your own and you know this morning we have a time an opportunity to say God I'm giving that over to you because the only way I can do it is you're going to have to help me here's another thing it could be things you're watching on TV that make you feel bad God's spirit convicts you it could be things on the computer that you're looking at and you're thinking why am I looking at this I I don't want to be this way God and I don't know what to do well this morning's an opportunity to surrender those things and also here's another one you keep thinking that you're going to serve God more and you're going to do more things for him and time after time you say that and really other things get in the way and we haven't really surrendered to him and given ourselves to him. So those are those are some of the things that we're going to be thinking about as David prays for, for us and with us. Um, you offer those things, whatever those issues are, up to the Lord. And then also expect that he's going to answer those things. And this week and this year, you look back and say, God, thank you for those things that I surrendered to you and I finally got it. And I turned it over to you, and you helped me with it. Thank you, Lord. So watch for those answers, okay? Would you please raise your hands if you're, uh, if you're comfortable doing that, and please pray with me. God, I believe at this moment uh, you are very pleased. You're very pleased with the hearts that you see and the hands that are raised in surrender to you. And at this very moment, I don't know how you do it, But I would ask that each one of us give up our hearts in surrender to you and give our uh, problems and our needs over to you. And in trust and in faith, we know that you will hear us right now. God, as we give all of these issues to you, again, I say it amazes me 
that you can hear us as individuals and you can begin your work in our hearts. And I ask that all of our hearts will, the heart's eyes will be open to you and that we will be able to see very clearly the army that surrounds each one of us to help us be able to overcome the issues that are in our lives. And I pray that you will give us confidence as we see that army to go ahead. And it is with great expectation and it is with great anticipation as we see you do your work in our lives as we surrender to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.